and about six years ago I had a near-death experience and a real melting of who I was that took about seven years to get through and when I came out of that um, I transformed into a person who's not that and who is more about uh, relating creating things that matter to me and really exploring the things that make me curious the if I would describe that shift in one sentence for you Dan I'd say that for most of my life I kind of ran away from what I was afraid of and now I've shifted that sense of direction and I am totally focused on moving towards what I love instead Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? That's always been my personal mission, to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. Enjoy the stories. In today's podcast, we talk with Vivian Carrasco. Vivian is a master certified coach, a mindset mentor, a creative midwife, and host of the Turning Inward podcast. Vivian has quite a remarkable story that you're going to hear. About seven years ago, she had a near-death experience that completely changed her life at almost every level. She stopped hiding from the world who she really was. And in this experience, she felt every loving moment that had ever occurred in her life had just kind of crossed before her eyes. And she developed an unshakable belief that all is well. She released all the trauma from her life and has created quite a remarkable and, and beautiful life. So without further ado, let's dive in to the podcast. Today on our podcast, we're with Vivian Carrasco. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you, Dan. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. You and I... Uh, uh, know each other a little bit from our mutual experience attending the uh, Chip Conley's Modern Elder Academy in Mexico uh, earlier this year. So we have a little bit of a history together. But uh, for our, our audience's benefit, I always like to start out with uh, having you tell us a little bit about your life in uh, only six sentences. Oh, that's a beautiful prompt. And we prefer that you don't use a lot of ands to extend that to 62 sentences. <laughs> ah, yo soy Viviana. Uh, I am Vivian. I um, am coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas, where I am. I live with my husband, and I like to say his dirt bikes because he's an avid uh, uh, 
mountain biker. And I am the mother of two grown men who are uh, both my sun and moon. And I am becoming. So that last sentence, and I counted down six sentences, leaves it open to who I'll become and what I am now. Okay, I need one more sentence because I didn't. One of the sentences I didn't give you credit for. <laughs> Fort Worth, Texas, you don't get credit for. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to share. I'm, I think in this moment, I'm feeling a little bit of a of a ruckus maker. I'm a little. I like to stir people in a way that. Uh, includes a tiny bit of skepticism, their own volume level, and curiosity. And I, I really enjoy the way that I do that as a, as a teacher and mentor for my online community within university. That's where I find a lot of my joy and feel like I'm on purpose and doing my vocation in the world. So let's start there, Vivian, because uh, you're well-established as a, as a coach and and with an online community and i know you're doing a lot of different things um but tell our audience about the the things that are important to you in your life now in terms of how you're contributing and what's what's happening in your world today and then we will rewind and we'll work backwards about how you got to where you are today so the most important thing to me is the way that I am being. It's not so much um, what I'm doing, but it's, it's the, the sort of method of travel. I would share with folks that I've had sort of an evolution of how I move through the world from kind of a type A driven to achieve and uh, very focused on meeting the the self-perceived box or persona of what society and my culture wanted from me. And about six years ago, I had a near-death experience and a real melting of who I was that took about seven years to get through. And when I came out of that, um, I transformed into a person who's not that and who is more about uh, relating, creating things that matter to me, and really exploring the things that make me curious. The, if I would describe that shift in one sentence for you, Dan, I'd say that for most of my life, I kind of ran away from what I was afraid of. And now I've shifted that sense of direction, and I am totally focused on moving towards what I love instead. Wow. So let's stop right there because. You know, the idea of this, and I don't know who said it, but that we're driven in life by two different motivators. Either it's, which is what you just said, it's either we're driven by running away from what we're afraid of, or we're driven towards what we desire. We're clear about what we want, and that's a more powerful thing. And, you know, for most people in the world, and certainly for most of my life as well, I was driven by avoiding what I was afraid of and protecting myself. So um, tell me more about until you had the the near-death experience six years ago, how your life was and how you're affected by running away from things. Because it certainly is, you know, what most of us are taught. 
what was your life like before that? Well, it's an interesting thing because on the outside, it doesn't look different to anyone, you know? I, I, um, and I like, and I like to, to bring that into focus because I changed from the inside doesn't mean my entire outside had to, you know, be, be kind of like broken down and like deconstructed and reconstructed. The outside way that I live looks exactly the same. I, a really practical example of that is in the past, this is, this is so silly, but it's, it's an illustration of how I'm different but still the same. I have always loved to dress really simply. I adore the color black and 98% of my closet is black. But I struggled with that choice in the old life, right? Because I would see magazines and I would see women and I would see people who were just uh, dressed beautifully and like with colors. And I thought that's what I'm supposed to be and sort of fought against this choice that I had made for myself. And now I just accept it. It's who I am. And if somebody doesn't like it, that's them. That's for them. It's not for me. And I can ripple that into a lot of things that I do in my life. Um, and it took a lot of, I don't know what, honestly, but it took a lot of shifting my mindset and the way that I saw the world in order to start to accept every little part of who I am. Another example is I wore my hair straight for most of my life and I would fight the natural curls that I have. And I'd say not even two years ago, I started to like accept that this is my own kind of beauty. It's not the beauty I see or I'm drawn to, but it's mine. And so I, I take better care of my hair and appreciate the curls. So those, those are just two really practical examples of the difference between before and now. That's that skill of of appreciating who you actually are of being authentic and 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 just stopping and appreciating that is very profound because it's again as you talk about we have these huge influences we've grown up with our whole life about you know starting very young about how we were supposed to be what we're supposed to do and and you know, that's part of our memory or part of our body memory that we've learned and that experience of how we get to actually recreating uh, and finding out who we are and who else, we, who we want to be in the future is, um, is, is a very unique process and it takes um, courage and, and resilience to, to keep that, uh, I guess, awareness um, uh, and keep noticing and then and to keep what's what you're saying you keep deciding that i'm gonna look at it a different way and you know it's so true what you said about you know nothing has to change on the outside for everything to change for us on the inside right i think that's what you're mm -hmm. saying yes yes well and i also had a lot of experience um experimenting with changing things on the outside to make things different and, and I came to learn that it doesn't matter because um, my, my mother would move around a lot. So we, I went to a lot of different schools when I was young. And with David having a 20-year career in the military, we moved around a lot. So I had the opportunity to sort of take off an identity 
excuse me, and restart it in a different way. And I learned through those decades of just growing that it didn't matter where in the world I was or what I was doing. I was always the common denominator. And so when I accepted responsibility for that and sort of stood in that kind of self-mastery and self-awareness and self-exploration, like it's about me and stop pointing fingers at whatever thing I was complaining about, then I, I, I felt like this deep, deep like shift happen. But what you just said, Dan, is totally spot on. And I want to bring it back to how you open that. The body remembers. And if we've built a habit of being, when we're unconscious, maybe when we're tired or hungry or a couple of other words, we default back to that memory. And I like, so it is a persistent thing that you have to sort of draw your attention to. And, and we're designed this way. So I feel like sometimes I might step back into that old me and then I was judgmental about, oh, I should have known this already. I've already learned this lesson. But it has to be a continual re reminder of refreshing. And um, it's kind of like our teeth. I, I, I had my teeth straightened. But I have to wear retainers in order to keep them straight because when I don't wear the retainers, the teeth automatically go back to where they were before. And I feel like the same thing happens to our persona and who we are being in the world. We will default back to that, that lowest common denominator of who, who we were taught to be unless we're conscious, of, conscious about who we're being. Um, so, so you were profound in saying that takes a, a lot of remembering, like a lot of persistence in going back to that and that intention. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, one of the most interesting books I read was, uh, was about uh, golf, golf psychology. It's a book called Your 15th Club by, by Bob Rotella. And the concept in that book is it was so meaningful to me and I applied it to golf and I had some, some success with that. But what he actually says is that um, most, of, most golfers tend to get very emotional about um, when they hit a bad shot mm -hmm. and they want to yell and scream. And, and when, they, when they hit a good shot, and we're talking more about men, probably. Uh, but when we hit a good shot, we tend to be nonchalant about it. And when he says what you actually should do is the opposite, because the thing you have strong emotions about are what your body remembers. So if you're continually having no emotion about doing something good, not reminding yourself about doing something good, and you're continually having these very strong emotions when you do something bad, when you hit it into the lake, you hit it into the woods, your body's gonna keep giving you more experiences based on the strongest emotion you had. And uh, that work of actually putting in what he calls the good shots journal, remembering uh, all the good things that we did today or last week, you know, or, or 20 years ago, if we don't remind ourselves because we keep track of it. And what I actually did was, and what he recommended is, you actually write down the good things that you did, the good shots that you hit, and you attached, you also, as, as much detail as you could, you put in 
the emotions, how it actually felt when you performed that action, you hit that great shot. And then you rehearse that and you replay that because the fact is that we will all forget we did something good yesterday. It disappears. If we don't focus on it, it just kind of completely disappears and we don't get the value of it. But the value we do get is if we've continually replayed the bad things, one bad thing that happened, one traumatic event that happened when we were very young, um, we can replay that, the feelings of that traumatic event, you know, a hundred times a day if we want, when it has nothing to do with what's going on in our life. And it's, it just is uh, amazing what can happen when we decide to look in the, uh, the, the direction of the good things we've done and give ourselves credit for it. And uh, don't put the same emphasis. But as you said, Vivian, uh, those feelings are always going to come up, especially when we're tired or under stress. The old feelings just pop up. They're never going to go away 100%. But when you have that awareness that, oh, well, maybe that's not really who I am. <laughs> maybe that's just uh, an old memory that uh, I can change and have dominion over and have, because I think that's what you're talking about is, uh, how do I have the awareness now that I can take that personal responsibility for it, uh, uh, that I can I can change the body's response in a, in a matter that has my own, based on my own volition. Yes. Yes, and I want to come back to uh, your experience with that book. It's not just men, actually. It is the way that our brain is designed. Um, there's a my favorite uh, psycho. I think he's a, a psychiatrist and a neuroscientist. Patrick, uh, darn it, I don't. It's his last name is Hanson. Anyway, okay. so so he uses this beautiful meta- metaphor about our our brain being Teflon for the positive, just letting those things slide off, and it being Velcro for the negative by design. So the ratio that depending on who you're, you're, you're reading is says it's usually like 10 to one or seven to one. Like you have to have uh, like every positive experience just kind of like slides off unless you make it a million dollar moment. And he said exactly the same thing you, you're saying is you have to install it in your brain so that you can redesign your wiring because we default to focusing only on the negative. And it's like a training that has to happen. And you do that exactly the way you said, by remembering the good things, by reliving them, by kind of immersing yourself in all of the senses of what happened in that good thing. And my, my tool for that is, um, is I had, there's an app that I use that, where I take pictures, because my phone is with me everywhere I go. So I take pictures of things that make me feel happy or inspire awe or joy or wonder or something. And I make sure that I capture that in some way, even if it's like a picture of the sunset or anything. And then I can play it. I can rewind those million dollar moments and re-experience them so that I'm, you know, training myself to, to remember what's meaningful to me. That's a great idea. What's the name of the app? The one that I use is called Leap. Yeah. Okay, I'll post that in the show notes because that's, that's, that's the quickest way to really to create a memory is to, or to create a new experience is to, uh, is to look at a picture versus read, you know, read your text. It's even quicker when you see that picture. 
it's worth a thousand words, right? Yeah, and you can remember, like your brain will bring you back into your imagination of that moment, and you you know you can it it captures sound too, so you can hear the sounds if it's the birds or if it's the ocean or or whatever was like where the whole context of it is. The app is called Leap Second. I just looked it up. Okay, I'll post. I will post that. But that's a great idea. I'm going to definitely check that out. What Vivian would you say if you looked back? You mentioned the near death experience. What would it? What would you say were the maybe three events, uh, positive or negative, that you could look back and that had the biggest impact on your life as you as you sit here today? Three events that had the biggest impact um, to my transformation or in in general of my life. Just in general, the most most impactful to your life. So the the three events that I would say sort of shifted the direction of my life. Uh, the first one would be marrying my husband um, and us leaving our small town. So taking myself out of the context of West Texas and traveling the world with him. Uh, the second, and I'm gonna I'm gonna clump two events together. See if you give me credit again. I want to be a good student. <laughs> Um, the second one I would I would um, say is is raising both of my children. So they're adults now; they're 27 and 23. Um, but they changed the direction of my life because they really taught me through experience what it is um, to to love, like love at another level. So that's the second one, and um, the third one about me. I would, I would, I would honestly say it was that, you know, getting hit by the car because I was physically hit by a car as I was walking across the street. It it was that near death experience that I, that I mentioned, um, you know, way back in 2014, April of 2014, um, that helped me to see life at a different level. And when I came back to my body, like I didn't lose that experience. And it really just dissolved a lot of the fear and doubt that I had been carrying around and almost gave me wings to to actually start to share and teach and live a way in the world that wasn't really hiding from who I am and what my potential can be. So as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, I want to hear more about the specifics of the of the experience and uh, what recognitions you had when and you know as much as you recall or are comfortable sharing tell me more about the whole experience what what you actually remember sure i'd love to and i'd love to hear myself hear it too because uh over the years you know our, our memory fades but i feel like every time i go back to that moment i i I, I install it again, just like we talked about. So yeah. um, I was physically hit by a car on my left side. Um, what, what actually like in, in, in form happened is I was sort of flown into the middle of the inter- intersection. Um, while that happened, what I believe happened, and this is as close to words as I can make it because you can't really assign language to it. It doesn't hit the mark. It's like you're just pointing a finger towards it, right? Um, But I experienced every loving moment that I had 
ever had in my life. I went through a movie of smiles and hugs and laughter and beauty and images. It was just like this fast forward and rewind at the same time of every loving moment I've ever had. And it just bubbled up this undescribable joy in me. And when that happened, when when it was over, it felt like my body released any heaviness. And, and what I would describe that heaviness as was probably like, uh, maybe even like trauma, anything that my cells held on to as an experience, you know, uh, fear, doubt, like everything that I had gone through, like it just let it go. And when it let that go and it almost dropped, kind of like when water, like you're under a shower and it just falls, then I was no longer in form. I was no longer in my body. I was like mist everywhere. And as I remember it, it was just, it was like complete joy. It was like you were, I was everything. And there was no wanting. There was no, it was is. I guess that's the only way I can describe it. Um, but then. How, how long did it seem in time that this experience was happening? Do you have any way of describing that? A long time. It could have been, like, it could have been, it, it doesn't, it's, it's, you can't, I don't, this is, that's a really good question. Like, cause right now the first thing that came to my mind is years. It, it took years uh-huh. to do that. But when I was starting to say that my brain was like, it couldn't have been years. So it's like, I'm having this internal battle with even what I'm saying as I'm sharing it. Cause it just took all the time it needed. And, but in reality, I don't even know how long it took. It couldn't have taken more than a couple of minutes because when I opened my eyes, I was back and I was like, whoa, there's a quote that I like to reference that kind of summarizes what I realized from that. Like I I changed as a person because of that experience, but what I recognized with distinct clarity, Dan, is um, there's a quote that's attributed to Mother Teresa, who's now Saint, Saint, I forgot what they named her as a saint, but she is attributing it, there's a quote attributed to her that says, I am a pencil, a sh- probably a short, stubby pencil without an eraser in the hand of God. And that's what I recognized. I'm like, because I'm in form, because I'm in this body, I have the ability to create i have the ability to make i have the ability like to move things just physically pushing like the mouse over like this is not something that i'm gonna have when i'm no longer here in this form because when i was missed when i was everywhere i was happy but i didn't have the opportunity to to sort of move things around if that makes sense yeah well there's a reason we're here and there's a reason when we're not here. Yeah. So were the, were the injuries pretty serious as well in terms of your recovery? Thank you for asking. I was in shock for a couple of days. So I didn't feel the pain. Um, 
but uh, I was taken to the hospital and had x-rays and, you know, like the ribs and that sort of stuff. But I was, I, you know, I could still walk and talk. There wasn't anything, you know, horrible. Like I think that the car was coming to a stop. And it was interesting because I, I sensed that something was happening, but that I couldn't stop it. Like so it was, I was already in the movie of it because I, it was five lanes of traffic and everyone was stopped. But I kept looking like, you see me walking, right? And then the last lane was a turning lane. And I remember having eye contact with the driver and like recognizing like, oh, he's slowing down. He's going to stop. But as I kept walking, like the right, I guess, bumper, like still like really hit me as I was walking because he, I guess he decided not to stop. Um, so yeah, my injuries weren't bad enough to, other than, you know, keeping me from moving around for a couple of days and really healing and resting. So there was a spiritual reason for all of it because it certainly wasn't a, a logical reason for it. Although I don't trust that when I'm in a crosswalk, I don't, I, I don't trust really anybody's going to do what they're supposed to, <laughs> supposed to do. Uh, regardless of what the sign says, yeah. I've learned I've learned that lesson. But um, spiritually, how did this understanding you've described? How did that stick with you in the in the days and weeks afterwards? What? What? How did you process all of it? It in an, um, again, it's hard to describe in words, but but there's a quote. Uh, that Julian of Norwich is has is said, and it's basically all is well, and all will be well. And it really, I have been able to keep away or let go of, unless I'm tired or hungry or sad or you know, the I let the emotions move through me, and I just I have this like an unshakable belief that all is well and so it it what has stuck with me is not just like a optimism because i'm grounded in reality that you know you can't trust everything you see but or that everyone's going to do what they're supposed to do but that all is well, like I'm exactly where I need to be. And when I'm not, I can feel that. Like I can sense that tension inside my body. So I guess what's coming up for me is that I have a different relationship with my experience. And I'm able to recognize when I'm coming off my own path. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, but the impact was then really pretty immediate in terms of. Um, because I can see how that can, you can have these these feelings, these understandings, but many of us might not be able to process them, or it might take maybe a longer time to to really realize how important it is. But it seems like for you, it was it was just kind of integrated and internalized um, almost immediately. Would that be correct? Yes and no. So yes, in my own experience of myself. I got it, like my eyes were opened. But no, in that um, I needed to understand 
Because I had this also this inkling that there was a teaching or a, a message that I, that I was meant to share, but I didn't know how to do that, and I was scared of that before. And after this experience, I understood that it was just an evolution, like it would unfold as I took steps towards it. And that's really what has happened for me, and why I call uh, within university and 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 the teachings that I share as a vocation, because I recognize that. Whether it bears fruit in this world or not, that's what I'm here to do. But it took me a lot of time, and I'm still unfolding that, um, to know exactly what that is in form, like what it looks like and what it sounds like and how I do it. So tell us about uh, within university with, I believe, parentheses around the you, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, and again, I'll post all this for our audience to to check out. But uh, tell me about that as part of your mission and the message you're sharing. Well, well, one of the things that's interesting is that I, I I've always wanted to be a teacher in some form, and I didn't know what kind of teacher I was going to be. I had settled on being a university teacher, you know, like a professor. So I have a doctorate, I have a terminal degree, um, but that wasn't really for me. So I named it within university because I now have my own school that I teach in, but it's really about um, guide, being a guide and a mentor to folks that have made the decision to turn inward, to, to look deep within themselves for their own answers. Because when I was going through that process and I mentioned it was about seven years, I really didn't have a place or a person that I could go to or that I knew of that had been through what I was going through and that could guide me. And so that's what we do within you. It's a very intimate, very small community um, where we take seasonal journeys together, experiences that allow us to move into a shift or a change. Um, most of, the, most of the, uh, the members are women um, and we just move through liminal spaces together, together in seasonal journeys. And I obviously do coaching and and um, and teachings in there too. But but it's a it's a lot like what you and I probably experienced at MEA um, at the Modern Elder Academy. You have to experience it in order to integrate it into your your being. And it's like you can't learn about riding a bike by reading books, and you can't learn to swim by reading instructions on how to do it you kind of got to get in the water and within you it's kind of a safe place to test out your new skills yeah and you know you and i have i think a lot of similarities in terms of uh, approach and, and values and uh, you know i always have been a teacher and a mentor to, to some people and a coach but it's it's almost always been unusual experiences people that show up to work with me are usually quite different and and people that you know from myself i i never want to put myself in somebody else's template of how to do things and because i've always just kind of developed my own template it's been you know maybe more challenging maybe it's taken longer but uh, the skill that uh, i know you have that that I have as well of working with people uh, either in small groups or, or individually to uh, really connect uh, at a different level is uh, 
is really kind of a magical thing. And, you know, what, what I found, I want you to comment on, on this as well, Vivian, but what I found is that, you know, the reason I've been drawn to the work that I do is that every time I make that connection and find out where somebody is coming from or what stories they're telling themselves that aren't really true, and I'm able to remind them of uh, what would be more true for them and who they really are, that it really helps me just as much as it helps them. So uh, that's what is a powerful driving force for me to move through uh, helping other people because it's really what I need as well. And they just, there's this interconnectedness that's, uh, that's what makes everything function versus, you know, putting things in little compartments and following the little rules. And, you know, for me, coaching is never about, you know, just follow these steps, get up at 5 a.m. and do this, this, and this, and then meditate and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't, that doesn't really go very far, really get to people. It doesn't help people to get where they need to go. If you give them a, a, a template or a formula versus really getting to what's unique about them and figuring out what, what's the help they really need. But what's, what's your perspective? First, I kind of just want to say amen to all of that that you just said. <laughs> Thank you. And amen, it like in, literally translates into I believe, because I believe that too. I think the only distinction I would make is you use the word remind, and I would say that my posture is that I help them remember what yeah. they already know, which is basically the same thing. Um, yeah. And again, in the same vein, but a little bit differently, like I, even though we're having experiences together within a container, you know, that online community, uh, their life is their teacher. And, and that's, that's the experience that we're folding in and that's how it integrates. And I have found that my experiences and my learning mirrors what the community is going through, but maybe on a different level, right? Like just like, a slightly different, but it's the same awareness that needs to happen. So, uh, yeah, that interconnectedness and and bringing in everything that's happening is freaking magical. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I've I've gone through you know most of my life as a pretty good know-it-all, and be, and being able to have insight and and tell people what they ought to do. And, uh, you know, it's taken me a long time to realize that that's not the best place really to come from of being the know-it-all because I'm not learning anything if I think I know so much about you and what you should do. Um, so let's take a lot, of, a lot of experience I've had that have been humbling for me and terrifying for me to, to get to a point of, uh, of approaching things from really a, a different viewpoint because I've got a lot of power and a lot of insight, but they certainly don't have all the answers. You know, and that's a good point. I think one of the, one, something that I would like to highlight is as a comparison of Vivian before and Vivian now, and you've, you've alluded to this too, Dan, in the past, me, I was about getting the right answers, right? Yeah. And now I'm more about asking better questions. Yeah, as... Uh uh, our mutual friend, our shaman in uh, Mexico, uh, his name is Saul, um, said to me, he said, uh, well, really all you have to do is ask and wait. 
in New York City says, you don't do you don't do nothing while you're waiting, but that skill of waiting for the for the answer to appear, which you know I don't know might happen in a day, it might happen in a month, might happen in ten years, but that willingness to wait for the universe to to deliver an answer versus you know what I've had most of my life, which is the desire to make everything happen, I'll force it to happen, and I'm not waiting for anything. Um, is a is again a different place to to show up with and, and a big challenge. Uh, but I agree with you, Vivian. Just figuring out what's a good question to ask, and some answer is going to appear sometime if you ask the right question. And if you're in too big a hurry and it's and too impatient, usually you just make life more difficult for yourself. Yep. When I ask the question of what do I do next, like what's the right step for me. That, that answer took seven years to unfold. And that's the period of time in my life where I call the dark years because everything seemed muddy, like confusion. Um, so you really, you bring up a really, really good point is that it takes time for like clarity to come and we aren't patient with how much time it can take. There's a saying that says, you don't step into the river until the mud is, you know, the muddy river until the, the agitation has settled. And that's what I recognized that I did in my life is instead of stepping forward in the middle of that agitation, in the middle of that confusion, in the middle of that chaos, and just taking a chance on whether or not I was going to do the quote unquote right thing, um, I, I waited. Like I, I move through the world looking, like resting, like reflecting, but until I was clear is when I stepped forward. And that process took seven years. And, and in that process, I sort of had the, the metamorphosis, right? The transformation of allowing that liminal space to hold me until I was ready to give birth again to the new me. Um, so, yeah. Yes, yes, and more yeses, Dan. And and what what comes through so much from you, Vivian, is this level of faith. And again, I think that for all of us, that the decision to have faith and faith to me means that well, things are going to work out fine for me. Um, that gives you the patience to wait. And um, you know, I just think it's a lot of it's 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 worth inspecting when I go back to um, what you said earlier in terms of how you've created a beautiful successful marriage and created two beautiful children and how important that is in terms of how everything else around you has proceeded because again it seems that that's uh, given you a, a strength and a grounding you know so many and it's yeah, you know, I certainly have had challenges in my earlier relationships that that when you're not grounded in that relationship, and I was married for 27 years, but there was never really secure grounding and footing, and it was always uh, there was always some confusion. The, the the waters were always somewhat muddied. But it's I want you to comment on that because you've certainly mm. referenced it how important that your family and what you've created um, has been to how you've been able to move forward in life. Well, I will agree with you that, that the love is an elixir. Um, but, you know, love in the, in the bigger sense of love, like not love in the, like, pizza love. Like, I love pizza, but love in the, the sort of 
I don't even know how to describe it, right? It's an undescribable word. But but I want to step back a little bit and say that it was a co-creation. Like it was an allowing of us to each become. I ha- I've been married to my husband almost 30 years. But I would say that I've, mar- I've been married to three different people, like three different personas, three evolutions of him. And so we've both sort of almost like a, if you can imagine right now a DNA strand, the way that a DNA strand is like apart and then grows together, intersects and then comes apart again. That's how I sort of envision the movement or the rhythm of us. Um, and because we are able to create independently, but then come back together, that's, that's how I would describe that, our relationship. And the same thing, but different with my sons. Uh, because it took, I went through a really serious grieving period when I, when I had an empty nest, because uh, a lot of my identity revolved around being the mother of, of boys, like of yeah. being a mother raising children and it took i don't even know how to i mean this is this is probably i don't even know how it happened but somehow i went from that mourning of that identity and that role into this recognition and awareness of but look at who they are now like look at what they're becoming and how you're dancing with each other in relationship so um it was a co-creation, both them being the three of them, right? My two sons and my husband being supportive um, and us also having our own identities and recognizing what matters to each of us and finding a way for that to fit. I have a really cool story to share about that. Do you want me to share it now? Yes, 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 please. Because I, <laughs> I, I was, I was just thinking of. Uh, I'm anxious to read the book because there's a, there's certainly a book about that transition from from that identity of being a mother, where where your children are dependent upon you, and to taking a different role. And I'm going through that. My partner's going through that with her her only child going to college this year. Uh, my my boy, that's been two boys as well as you know that are that are 31 and 28, but you can't have, you can't hold on to the same relationship you had growing up. It's got to transform to something completely different. But uh, yeah, so I'd be anxious to hear the story, but to, also to read the book about that. And uh, and also the book about uh, the transitions in, turn in, in turning in your relationship with your husband and the three different people and how that transpired, I think would be fascinating as well, because it just can't be, here's what we got when we're, you know, 18 years old and things just going to stay the same and we live happily ever after. It just life is much more complicated than that. So I'd be interested in uh, reading about reading that book or hearing that story in another podcast as well, because it's really uh, important and uh, everybody's got to figure out how to do that in one way or another. And most have not. So yes, tell me the story. Before I do, I just want to tell you that I'm sort of kind of grinning in a, in a, not a Chessar cat way, but in a really grateful way for you to even say that because I am in the middle of birthing a book and it is it is like this current transformation happening in my life so thank you for drawing attention to how those stories matter and why i need to share them um i really appreciate that 
You're welcome, because they, they are so, so, so important. So I uh, will support you in any way I can to get those stories out, because uh, the world needs to hear them. Thank you, friend. So so the, the story I want to share, because it's super practical, and it probably everyone listening can relate to it in some way, is um, allowing that shifting to happen when David... So because we've been married so long and we've gone through so much together, we kind of have figured out the big stones. And we, what I've recognized is that we were having little tiffs or arguments around the toughest decision of the day. And for us, it's like, what are we having for dinner, right? <laughs> okay. It really was. It was like, it's like the hardest decision I have to make every day is like, what are we having for dinner? Which to me means where are we going to go eat or what are we ordering? Um, and and the, the, the story of me accepting that as my way and not the cultural way of cooking like food for my family that was never fun for me is a whole nother vein. But this one is about David and I actually moving through what the better question is. Because I had developed this loop in my mind that it didn't matter to him what I wanted for dinner. It was just sort of a pretend question, right? And the way that I would bring in evidence of that is you know, we might be parked in front of a restaurant and he says, is this okay with you? <laughs> right. And I'm like, we're already here. <laughs> that's not, that's not a real question. But, but one of the things, and I don't know, and hopefully when I tell the story in writing, it'll unfold like sort of the, the, the details of it. What I recognize that we needed to do is really identify what was under the rug. Like what's the real question that both of us are asking each other that we don't have to negotiate an answer. Because when we find that, you're not letting anything go that you want and neither is the other person. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that that's where we meet. Like we meet at the root of what we want. So, so through probably an eight-month period and me noticing this and kind of dancing with it, I recognized that the question he was actually asking is, was related to his need for novelty. Like I need to have a different kind of dinner than I had for lunch or that I'll have for, for tomorrow. So he's moving through this movie of if I had Chinese for lunch, maybe I want Mexican for dinner and tomorrow I'm having Italian, right? And the need that I was trying to meet and fulfill is the experience of it. Like, is it beautiful outside? Do I want to eat on the patio? Do I want a more intimate environment? Do I want to stay at home? Like, that's where like we had to meet each other not in the question that we were asking at the time which is what are we having for dinner but in recognizing where each of us needed to be met and that's him with novelty and me with experience and when we can consider that like it, it's not an issue anymore but it comes up it's that whole remembering in the teeth retainer right sometimes when he's tired he's like really like we're doing this again I just laugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a great story for me personally. It, re it resonates because I have uh, with my partner and I we have kind of at the opposite ends of the spectrum with regard to um, uh, structure, and she has more need for structure and routine, and I have more need for novelty and doing things that are fun, and it's. We come from two different places, and uh, so the question is, is, is not just like you said, it's not just the question, it's what's behind that. And, uh, you know, finding what's really important to your partner is, is important. 
Yeah, yeah. And it helps you meet in the middle where neither of you lets anything go. You still have your novelty and adventure and um, and change. And she still has her security, right? And her sameness. But but figuring out what that looks like in the real world to each of you. Yeah, knowing what's the real decision we're making here. If right. you know what the real decision is, and you can make an accommodation, you can make a compromise, but when you don't get to the point of understanding what's the decision really about, then it's very easy to get frustrated or bitter or, or just to complain about it. Right, and get stuck in that memory of, oh no, here we are again, or you know, whatever it is that already happened, you're not allowing that new moment to emerge. You're not allowing or giving permission for something to be different. Because of our brain, right, this Teflon and Velcro for the negative, like your body's going to help you remember all the shitty moments of arguing about where you're eating or <laughs> not yeah. being happy about what you decided. And and it really is a practice. And I'm, I said eight months because it really took probably eight months to move through the whole emotions of it. Because even I even remember when I was in this experiment, like I was, this is the topic I was focused on. My stomach would start to knot as soon as I knew it was getting close to dinner time. And I didn't know what was what it was about or why it was happening. And I recognized it was like me preparing for this this un like not cool moment to happen, right? Um but yeah, it takes time. So that curiosity and noticing and allowing and giving permission for something new to be born, like it it just let it take as much time as it needs to. Vivian, I so enjoyed you sharing your story with us. It's been, uh, it's been, I don't even, I don't really even have words to describe uh, the conversation. You know, we're so way over time and it's just so great that in the world of online podcasts, it doesn't really matter how far over time we are. <laughs> yeah. We are. I'm, I'm not, I'm not even going to ask you to give back that time on the next podcast. Uh, <laughs> But I would like to have you on in the future for another podcast so we can continue the conversation and, and uh, dive in even more deeply into other subjects that are important uh, uh, to all of us. But I just want to thank you again for sharing your story um, for all of our audience. And uh, it's been a delight to have you with us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to This is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like the podcast, please leave a nice review and a rating and share it with your friends. It all would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co as well as on Instagram, dansimontv or Twitter at dansimontv. Thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next podcast.